1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. We've got a new show for you. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. We're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting sheds. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. <music> I'm joined in the shed by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? I'm currently wondering if all Red Bull drivers secretly dream of Helmet Marco, or just some of them. Dreams or nightmares? I'm also joined by young Chris Stevens. Hello, Chris.
3: Hey, Spanners. As the YouTube viewers will see, I got a haircut and you're probably going to tell me it's still too long.
2: Yeah, and there is a tradition amongst uh, British schoolboys, at least, of every time... You get a haircut, you get yelled at and called stupid. It does look stupid. We're also joined by YouTuber and up and coming TikTok sim racing star,
4: Scott Tuffy, AKA Stuffy. How's it going, Stuffy? hey spanners thanks for having me and i don't see the hype in yuki Sonoda and think he's lucky to have a contract renewal
2: i invite you here to my shed a guest in my home (laughs) and this is how you repay me let's argue about that now as we catch up with all the big dirty news big dirty news All right, Matt, what's the skinny on Sonoda? Well, this is, I love this story
5: because it brings up so many really important questions to Formula One. But the simple, obvious one has just been made for us by Stuffy. Did he deserve his contract renewal? Are there better options out there? Which means we should probably do a little discussing
2: of that to start. All right, that's an interesting one to start with to say, well, uh was he better than other options out there and i think they quite publicly were courting the other option of of Col- of um Colton Herta but that was for uh, in anticipation of losing pierre gasly i presume yeah but it, you know you have to also you can't directly compare say if you thought yuki Snowder and esteban ocon were exactly the same you would stay with kind of the driver you had wouldn't you it's like a relationship there's a tax on bothering to get out of that toxic relationship and moving on
5: yeah i'd suggest maybe you see your eye doctor too because they are slightly different sizes but you... I, I
2: i may i may have used ocon uh, to provoke you but i am really surprised by how negative the reaction has been and i guess i'm in a little uh yuki Sonoda echo chamber in my own head where i was like oh yeah brilliant he's gonna get like a proper and continued shot chris
3: the real question to ask though is for red bull who are the other candidates? They've already made it plainly clear that they have no faith in the plethora of Formula Two drivers that they have at the moment.
2: That means by many. already
3: scouting yeah. Colton Herter to replace Pierre Gasly rather than one of their juniors. So it just makes sense to keep Sonoda on for another season
2: i think it makes sense so i guess that that's the end of the debate no need to hear from Stuffy. okay Stuffy, um, why um, like why we, hey like, I'm a, i like i like yuki Sonoda. i think he's
4: fast i think he's got talent but you're about to hurt my feelings on you go having being fast and being talented is not good enough the best drivers the, the best drivers perform well they they're brilliant max verstappen lewis hamilton but the reason they're so good Is because how bad they perform their bad days they still pick up results now you can argue f1's a bit different to other sports because it's dependent on their machinery but the best of the best perform well still on their bad days and i think when you break it down and you actually look at yuki's performances yes he's had flashes of brilliance he's had some real good results but then he's always followed them up with really poor performances poor not just race races, but weekends in general, crashes, spins. And I think he's fortunate with other circumstances happening in F1 at the moment, with Red Bull, with Alpha Tauri, that he has got an extension. Um, so that's why I think he's he's lucky to be to be there.
3: But obviously as you say, the performance is is not the be all and end all. Obviously when Sonoda first started in Formula One, Alpha Tauri made it quite playing that they were not happy with how he was treating himself off the circuit in regards to his discipline when it came to fitness or putting in, you know, the the hours away from the track as well. You know, moving him from Milton Keynes, the sort of Red Bull Junior hub and into their own uh, town in Faenza in Italy so that they could sort of more closely monitor him and, and get him on a regime. And it seems like they've made progress in that um, in that area. And in terms of the speed, he seems to be a lot more sort of on par with Pierre Gasly. I think there's been a, a lot more of a two and a fro between the two of them this season. Gasly's uh, maybe 10 points ahead in the championship, but he had like one really good result in Baku um, this year. Otherwise, they've been... So much more closely matched than, say, last season.
2: Uh, Matt, quickly, then Stuffy. Sorry, Yeah, Matt.
5: so uh, just to get down to some borderline facts, we, we've got <gasps> Tsunoda out-qualifying Gasly six times already this season. At At the halfway mark, I think it was races eight to Gasly, five for Tsunoda, and his best result uh, should have been a six in Azerbaijan, but he had that DRS problem that... that that caused him DN- to DNF. And actually, since then, he's picked up another DNF. Uh, when the one race at Zandvoort, when he outqualified Gasly after the break, he had a DNF there as well. So in terms of a second-year driver going against someone who's as experienced and, um, I don't know, reputational, perhaps, as Gasly, it doesn't seem like, big picture, he's doing all that terribly.
4: Yes, Duffy. Yeah, and I've seen the Gasly argument come up, but Yuki hasn't scored any points in the last 10 races. He hasn't scored a point since Miami. He's crashed by coming out of the pits. He's had five reprimands now this season, gaining him a, a grid place penalty to start at a back of grid at Monza, where he could have had potential scoring points there like Pierre. And since the summer break, Pierre has actually scored three. He's actually... Um, scored two out of the three races. So it seems like Pierre, they've either done something to the car or Pierre's come back refreshed after the summer break and actually got up further the grid where you expect him to be. And I think going back to the circumstances, I think he's been given a bit of a buy out of his second year because of the regulation changes and because of the flashing performances that he had at the first season. Mm. This is almost his first season again. And then you've got the Honda affiliation as well with Porsche deal falling through. And as you guys said, there isn't really anyone to step up into that position because Gasly is still a little bit in flux in regards to what's going to happen with him. So I
3: agree. He needs to sort of tidy up the act ever so slightly. But Red Bull, when they were looking at Colton Herter, also made it quite plain that they'd rather have a very fast driver that was a bit rough around the edges that mm-hmm. they could smooth out, rather than taking someone that was maybe not as fast. Because it's harder to make them faster. Yeah, it's easier to smooth out the edges. And and Sonoda is in that same boat, I think.
2: What what are they looking for? You have to think. What are Red Bull looking for? Are they looking for like a solid number two? So in the a- Red Bull seat looking at Perez stuffy they wanted a solid number 2 and and you know we will argue next whether they've got one uh, but with Toro Rosso that's a breeding ground for this, for raw talent isn't it
4: they're looking for um cheaper parts on their Honda um, oh, engine <laughs> and of course that that's <laughs> part of it but it's yeah you do you do have to argue what are they looking for but i think other rookies um and other drivers have been treated worse for better performances. And especially for Red Bull, I think it's just circumstantial that he's got another year. And I, I maybe it's the TV editing as well, but it just seems like that he's always spinning or crashing. And yeah, if he improves next year, I'm happy to say, look, he's massive. Not necessarily hold my hands up. Cause I still have my opinion of hmm. that. He's still overhyped, but um if he improves next year fair play to him but last year is definitely last ch- last chance saloon i think Matt?
5: well this is what i love because i'm become as you know a bit of a uh, a bit on the issue of how drivers are portrayed in the media and uh, how we perceive them based on that particularly what's featured on television mm. and if i would bet dollars to donuts if you went back and looked at when sunoda was on television it was whenever there was a problem, a crash, or a penalty, and never, almost never, when he had actually a, a good result. Partly, I think that's because Alpha Tower have missed the mark in terms of their potential as a team, so they are rarely going to get the kind of TV time that like a Mercedes or a Ferrari get, or a Red Bull. But also, because if you're a driver in that end of the formula 1 ecosystem you either have to do something extraordinary or something disastrous yeah. to get any coverage at all and it and it shapes our perceptions of these drivers and their talent as a result what was
3: interesting to me was the um, quote from uh, helmut marco saying oh well, you need to give a driver three seasons to huh. see how they go <laughs> now, this this really? seems this seems like a complete u <laughs> turn <laughs> Bearing in mind how they treated the likes of Jaime Al-Gashwari and mm, Sebastian Buemi in the man, early man. 2010s, and Jean-Eric Verne as well, Carlos Sainz, there have been so many amazing drivers that they just threw into the wind because they
5: didn't perform like that. I, was that not a Franz Toast quote? Not a Marco quote? Oh, maybe years? it was.
3: I, I may have, okay, I may have incorrectly uh, attributed um, to what? that. Okay. Toss would be talking sense there, but even so, he's. <laughs> really supposed to reflect the Red Bull philosophy. And if Red Bull are agreeing to it, then I, I still think it's a U-turn.
4: Was this post or pre Porsche Deal collapse?
3: Oh post. It was when Sonoda was
4: that. my goodness. I'm, look if you Formula One is the most cynical sport going. <laughs> so I I'm not saying that's the be all and end all of ways that he's a uh, contract renewal. it is obviously he he's got he's got a likeable personality and i like to think he's definitely got a good pr team he's a pocket rocket he's he's fiery and the media like that um but i think when you when you break down his results yes there's a case of he's fast he's had he's got potential but other drivers have been let go for less and and you wouldn't
2: want a driver that It was just fast, but was then like crashing into the senior team driver who was spinning off everywhere, who was running people off the road. You know those kind of drivers at Toro Rosso never went on to be world champions, did they? Like Verstappen. I'm talking about Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen displayed flashes of brilliance that everyone loved, but he was wild. He was absolutely. If you you think Sonoda was wild, go back and rewatch the early seasons with Verstappen. He was wild as well. But you want the guy who can step up to the team hit the big drives who can hit the flop shots Who can do the fancy long parts even if they're not consistent at first i think you polish the 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 rough diamond matt
5: yeah and and this has long been the formula one position you take someone you take the fastest driver no matter how crashy they are and you form them into the um the weapon that can win world champions Ships. Now, I do start to wonder in this day and age of cost caps and and limited testing time, whether that might not be something that perhaps should be rethought. But I also took a trip into the past and I wanted to say, as far as Tsunoda goes, and I think this explains potentially their interest in Herda as well, who's a similar style driver. He's always almost on the wrong side of controlling the car, very fast, prone to crashing. But if you look at who Red Bull has gotten rid of in the past, I just want to remind you that they got rid of Jev, Jean-Eric Verne, they got rid of Buemi, Al they got rid of signs. And then you look at who they keep, I think the Tsunoda decision starts to make a lot more sense because he's a kind of driver that they keep around. And and just to sort of underpin those other drivers. All
3: of them, with the exception of Al Ghoshwari, who had to quit racing due to uh, medical reasons. Right. Um, all of them have accomplished amazing things in motorsport since
2: then, in, in, in Formula E and in the World Endurance Championship primarily. Yeah, but Al Ghoshwari, he's uh, uh, doing amazing things in music. He you can is, go and, yes. You can go Heck of guess. a DJ. You can go and download his album or whatever it is DJs have. But look, uh, <laughs> I'm a Sonoda fan. I'm happy that he's going to be back on the grid next season. I think Stuffy is right. There's a lot of luck with the circumstances, with, with that poor steel going through. You know, maybe that doesn't happen. But what I will say to my fellow Sonoda fans, hoping for a better 2023, is that this isn't even his final form. Wait until you see his true power. Okay, next, Matt's gonna be wrong about Sergio Perez. Perez is next on your your tick sheet, on your news sheet. He is he is getting a bit of a, a thumping suddenly out of the blue by one particular media outlet.
5: He certainly is. And and this is something that that I've been noticing, and I have a theory about it. Okay. I think we're starting to see articles and videos about stuff like this, because There's not much competition for who's probably going to win the championship this season, and they still have to generate some kind of interest. And and we all know from our own metrics that... That in the past, if we ever wanted to have a really good show, we'd talk about Lewis Hamilton
2: and then suddenly he wins a race and suddenly our show numbers go up. So, <laughs> Well, we don't deliberately make Lewis Hamilton win the race to make the show numbers go up. And it could be that we have a slight leaning, ham audience, but there is a thousands of listener download difference between a Hamilton win. Uh, mm, come on, Hamilton. <laughs>
5: you can do it. And we've certainly seen examples of people courting controversy for followers yeah. and stuff like that. And I think we may be at that point in the season, at least for the um I guess we're a professional media outlet, but for the um the 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 pros that follow the circus that get the mm. media access. They the big, still the need big to kids. generate yeah.
2: Yeah, the big kids. And and as we know, like when we're doing content creation, sometimes I look back or we get comments sent to us where we go oh we've been quite negative for a bit i think there might be something where when you're sitting on the sofa as an armchair fan it is easier to get passionate about the things that are going wrong and the things that are doing badly than it is to kind of fawn so i think yes there's a little bit of a clickbait element to it but i do think sometimes journalists can get dragged into a let's do a negative thing because it makes for more fiery content and then and more people click yeah so anyway I, i would agree yeah what's the kicking he's getting at the moment then matt
5: well, if you have a look at his qualifying over the last, I don't know, four six races. No, look he, at the first six, please. Yeah, exactly, and this is the point. If you if you if you if you pick that right sequence, and that sequence is all later in the season, he's sort of a devastatingly far amount off of Perez to the an average of like close to that, eight yeah. tenths. Which is even when qualifying is not that important, is still kind of important. Yeah.
3: So we can kind of make these uh, comments, you know, about whether this is right or wrong. But at the end of the day, it was backed up by data. And that to me kind of tells at least a, a story in that it was very clear Perez kind of came out guns blazing this season. But as the development of the car has, has gone on, and there's all these sort of conflicting rumors about whether Perez actually has a what is supposed to be a better spec floor that just isn't working um, for him. But it is very clear that the car is moving away from him as the season progresses. And that's why we've got these sort of slightly bigger gaps. But what is really important is that Red Bull don't have that same margin over the rest of the teams. So it's dropping him behind even the Mercs. Um, at this point, and he's fighting cars he really shouldn't be fighting. Stuffy.
4: I think with the Perez situation, I was quite surprised actually when you brought this topic up for the show because I think he's the perfect number two for Red Bull. You have to look at at it from Red Bull's perspective. Yes, he's tailed off on the second half of the season, but as you said, Spanners, Mm. he's come out in the first half, all guns blazing, picked up a win. He's had five podiums since then i have just had a look. He's had 80 points since Monaco. And they're over 100 and so points or whatever it is ahead of Ferrari and the constructors. Mm. Now, num- number one is always going to be Max. And you need to look at it. Perez is doing exactly what they want. As long as he is there or thereabouts in around the top six, yeah. then he's always going to come in regards to strategy. He's going to score enough points. And if Max is up there winning or finishing second but this year obviously he's phenomenal and he's he's finishing first pretty much every race then there's there's no issue there and I think personally it's a bit it's uh, clutching at straws, like you said, Spanish, for, for content at the moment, because there's yeah. not much else to talk about. Thank
2: you, Maria. In the live chat, you can back anything up with numbers. That's right, Chris. Statistics, statistics and damn lies. Uh, but look- I, I agree with you on that, because I think statistics is utterly, utterly <laughs> useless. <laughs> look, in this specific case, in this specific case, I will, I will just sort of, obviously, you guys know that I'm a Paris fan. So you can take that in the in the context of that. But he clearly started off the season very well. The car suited his driving style. Max Verstappen said it didn't suit his at all. And in fact, you know, we were even saying on this show, you know, this could be a bit of a headache for Red Bull if you're Mercedes or Ferrari and and Perez is coming through ahead of Verstappen, let Perez through. But that problem very quickly went away. They've been very public about this Red Bull. They've They've hidden none of this. They have said out loud after signing Perez on for a contract, by the way, before the Monaco Grand Prix. They're clearly very happy with him. They said the car wasn't suiting Verstappen. They changed it towards how Verstappen drives. And that's perfectly understandable. I would 100% always have a number one driver. Verstappen's the number one driver. You develop it towards his path. And whatever they've done, it definitely seems to have worked. And it's not a coincidence that that's coincided with then Perez taking a downward dip in form, they very publicly talked about having different flaws. And you can speculate if that's a conspiracy about um, Perez trying out different floors or not. But it's very clear that if they have a good upgrade, it goes to Verstappen first. So I do feel like the gunning for Perez ignores the fact that he came out of the blocks in the season looking pretty much you know, on par or much, much closer than he was in previous seasons and much, much closer than previous teammates. But especially in this budget cap era, towards the, the middle of a season, you are going to throw things at number one driver. And that, to me, Matt, is the absolute, definite, most sensible way to go about stuff. But then slating Perez, when you can see that the changes in development on the graph exactly coincide with a drop in form, is intellectually dishonest.
5: And, you know, far be it for me to point out that Albon was never this far away from Verstappen in qualifying. And everything you say is true. The floor is reportedly worth a tenth, but it might be costing Perez more if it's making things unstable and Mm. robbing him of confidence. We don't know the technical details. And yeah, this is very much, I think, a Tempest in a media teapot that we're discussing, but there's also that smoke fire saying, and I do want to bring this up because by all accounts, Red Bull are developing the car not just to suit Max better, but because it's how the car itself is fastest around a racetrack. And if they start next season with the car in this order and with Perez this far off, With Ferrari and Mercedes potentially having made those gains, then that may, it's not an issue now, Yeah, but it might bear watching for the future if he doesn't figure out how to close back up to sort of that three or four tenths that you'd expect a driver of his caliber
2: to be able to maintain against Verstappen. All right? quick, quick defence, because I know Stuffy's got a point here, but quick defence on that is that, obviously, they turn up to pre-season, the testing in a car, Perez is like, this is mint, I'm all over this. And then, you know, post-Monaco, it starts to change and go away from him. Um, but so, you know, he, before 23, he's going to have another pre-season to get into it. But, you know, F1's a career game. You've got to get yourself into the position to be that number one driver so they develop towards you. Perez seems happy, Red Bull seem happy, The only people that aren't happy is whoever wrote that. Anyway, stuffy.
4: I think it's motivation as well. That's a massive factor. He's as you, all the points you've made, Matt, the cars development has got further away from him. He's probably seen that internally. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And Max is so far ahead in the championship. Now they're so far ahead in the constructors. There's no, What motivation is there for him, apart from just going out there and just enjoying driving a Formula One car for the rest of the season? We will see probably a different Perez at the start of next season where it's level, well, however much you think it's a level playing field in (laughs) Red Bull, but level playing field in in the start of next season. And as well, to touch on your point about the career game, F1, Perez isn't going to move of his own accord. No. Because he's where's he going to move to? He's never going to make a sideways step to Ferrari and Mercedes. This is his best opportunity to ever fight for a world championship. Next year, Max may get a lot of bad luck and have a load of reliability yeah. issues. Then Perez is number one. So that's his, unless Red Bull refu- um, decide to get rid of him, Perez will be at that team for as long as he w- well, wants to be. Verstappen could
2: Rosberg it and go, well. Ah. Two. That's pretty good. All right. I'm off <laughs> to be uh, an incredibly just rich entrepreneur and go off and do whatever I want. Uh, but look, we've seen in the past, that in the, the live chat, lots of people are saying you should be adaptable. You should be able to adapt and drive to the car. I think there's a fair point in that. I don't know whether... Uh, whether it's better to have a driver that is adaptable or a driver that is really, really good at a specific type of car. I don't know. Maybe it's like sprinter versus heptathlete. So, for example, Kimi Räikkönen was doing very well until the Pirelli era. You can look at teammates of Lewis Hamilton who started off much closer to him in overall pace than they were towards the end of their stint because the car was being developed probably towards Lewis Hamilton, you could argue, with the Rosberg and with uh, Valtteri Bartas as well. So I I think, yes, you can say, oh, we'll just adapt to whatever the car is is there. But clearly teams seem to favour a driver and then develop towards them. Uh, Chris?
3: Well, the adaptability for me is absolutely key because you see drivers uh, like, I'm just going to use Lewis Hamilton as an example, who has been at the front of the Formula One field all the way from 2007 to, well, pretty much now. Say for a couple of years with dog cars, and even then, managed to drag them into results they didn't really deserve. And from then, we've seen aero changes, suspension changes, tire true. changes, yeah, yeah. hybrid changes, you know, yeah. all sorts of different things. Whereas mm. Sebastian Vettel, all of his success came in one very specific era of the sport, which he was amazing at. No one was better at him than yeah. driving those uh, blown diffuser cars. But you see, as soon as he got rid of it, he he couldn't do what he needed to do and struggle to adapt and recreate the same success. So and, and when me, I think the yeah.
2: adaptability is crucial. It is. And whilst I'm not arguing that Vettel is not better than Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton was also very quickly favoured at McLaren. They mm. weren't developing the car for Kovalainen, were they? And and I think that might have been slightly offset with with Button, because I think Button was probably pretty good at playing the political game and he had 2011 where he definitely had the, the measure of Lewis Hamilton, whilst Lewis Hamilton was off doing whatever he was doing between races. And then at Mercedes, I would argue that Mercedes have always seen him really as their number one and have always developed towards him. So having your team develop towards you, I think, is as big an advantage as the era suiting you or the, the, the regs suiting you. All right, good. Anyway, I think we've covered that, have we, Matt? We've got with some dotted some I's there. Do you want to cross some T's? I was just gonna. I mean, if you want to get into the, the development
5: thing a little bit, I, I, I could do. talk about that. It. Oh yes. gosh! Oh, you are so. Well, it gives me a. I gives me a, you again. It gives <laughs> me a
2: break, so that's okay. I'm gonna. I I've, I've poured a, a Merlot, so crack on.
5: Well, one of our one of our listeners has asked: Do the teams develop the the car, or do they? for the engineers or for the drivers? And I think the answer to that is they develop it most, the engineers develop the car for the engineers. They look at the data and they just, then they look at where the tires scrub where, and they figure out what they need the car to do in order for the car to go faster. Sometimes it needs to be better on the tires. Sometimes the balance needs to move backwards or forwards. And, And we know that the balance thing is something that Red Bull has chased and they've chased it because they want better um, tire degradation curves, and they've achieved that. But the result of chasing that has done two things. One, it's brought the car into focus better for Verstappen than Perez. And two, it has made this disparity between the driving styles of Perez and Verstappen really obvious to people in a way that it was less so earlier in the season. Mm. And... The problem you have is if for Red Bull's aero concept, where they have gone with this car is where they're going to continue to go, then this is the point where the team has to also figure out how to adapt the car so Perez can can maximize it. And I think that's that's what we've not seen yet from the
2: team. I know what this is. I know what I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I know what this is. This is all what going back to you thinking that I was over harsh on Alexander Albon at his time at Red Bull. And this you feel like this is all your big aha moment and that you think we wow. they should reinstate Albon.
5: I don't think we should reinstate Albon. I think he's much happier at Williams, <laughs> and I think Williams will be much better next season. Oh, it's going to be think, a good. I think they will. I think they will be fighting mm. with other teams for places in the championship. Might be a good if little
2: you, team that that not if, if, mm. if you want,
5: if you want my prediction, I like Albon, and I think I think this is, I think it's better for him to be out of that Red Bull loop. But I would say you are correct. I I do <laughs> think that <laughs> the, the job <laughs> Perez is doing could have been done by Albon as well. Oh, yes, right. Chris. I th- my, my last point on this, if you see more than
3: a second between teammates, that is not down to the drivers. That is down to something like, in, m- like McLaren. Okay. No yeah. one Unless... in Formula One is a second slower. Oh, okay,
4: than... should we, should we should caveat that stuff Yeah, Go on. Unless what? it's uh, Williams and your, nick- your name's Nicholas Latifi. Don't you dare. I'm <laughs> oh, already
3: heartbroken.
2: Oh, oh, really? Really? Sorry, such... Yeah, he's a big Latifi fan
4: you forget really because, yeah. yeah you
3: don't know the story because
4: i must have been a big fan of the memes that's the only reason why <laughs> no why? no that, it
3: was it f2 that you uh had some Facetime. time he with him. drove for the uh, team i worked for in formula Two. Oh.
4: So
2: there go. Uh, hang on we'll get to actually latifi's a, a little good um uh, segue we'll go into latifi but i think i think you're right when you see two you know talented drivers and the gap is that big it probably isn't just down to pure talent so like mclaren and ricardo very clearly something hasn't been going right there ricardo isn't that far off of i've said this before of norris if you put them in a range of i don't know street stocks um a uh a, a radical you know if you put them in a, in a range of cars i doubt that the gap would be that big something odd has happened some circumstance
5: Put him back in the Alpine, he'd be much closer.
2: Yeah, well, there you go. I, I, and I'm starting to form a theory of McLaren and, and how embedded Norris is into the DNA of McLaren. You're getting some nods from Chris. Oh, man. Bring it on, he, bring it on. The
3: Piastri has got his hands full next season. I think if there was a rookie driver better equipped to take onto it, it was Oscar Piastri. Uh, but for sure, he's walking into Norris's camp.
2: Yeah, no, I think. Anyway, look, I, I'm I'm, not, I'm forming that theory still. I just wanted to go with Stuffy because he's the best uh, race racer <laughs> between a lot of us. Um, I, on the on the thing of adaptability. You know, moving between different you know cars and people don't like it when I equate sim racing. But you just get off your high horse. Sim racing is a, is a skill in of itself, and, and I've heard a lot of real world drivers say that it's incredibly useful to them in practice, and they can get a feel for stuff. But jumping between different cars, do you find that your driving style makes a makes a big difference, or even
4: holds you back? One hundred percent, yeah. Um, which why what Nick DeVries did at Monza was oh, so. so, so impressive yeah. because I could, I've never had the luxury of racing in real life. Don't, don't apologize. Um, You're glorious for, <laughs> for who you are. So the only thing I had to compare it to is jumping from different cars yeah. on iRacing, which is as close to being in a real-life car as you can without actually being in one. And, yes, jumping from a Formula 3 car to Formula 1 or GT3, they're also very different, and it's very noticeable how – they handle and how different you have to drive them, and it takes a good few laps to to get into it. I could not just jump from race to race if I wanted to, because I would just end up causing myself so many issues and crashing yeah. into people. You know, I, so, even,
2: I even find that if you just change the setup. I, I have to learn it all from yeah. scratch. And um, so, I, you know, I, I'm not a professional racing driver. I do things kind of like uh, paint by numbers. So I go, oh, okay, um, if I broke there and I was in too slow, so I'll break a little bit later next time. Oh, I turned there, that didn't quite work. Turn a little bit next time. It's probably why I'm not a professional racing driver.
4: It, it gives you a <laughs> real appreciation to how hard it must be in yeah. real life and yeah. a real appreciation to the junior drivers who win consecutive formulas, yes. i.e. Piastri, George Russell, like, because they're going from such different cars. And it's not like they can jump into that car and run hundreds and hundreds of laps before yeah. they do a race, because the regulations state, they can't do that. So, I mean, yeah, it just yeah. gives you a full appreciation to them and ha- hats off to Nick DeBrees because that was just phenomenal. So speaking
2: to our pro driver, Brad Philpott, and when you know when he's coaching me a bit on a, a sim or whatever, I'll say to him, well, where did you break at turn three? And he literally he goes, I don't know. And to me, I go, what? How can you not know? Like I'm looking at those marker boards going 100, one Mississippi, two Mississippi break. And that's how I kind of work my way through through a lap. And he he is just feeling by looking at the corner and and sensing the conditions how to get around that corner so yeah, it's it's, it will be very interesting to have a deep dive with someone about instinctive racing perhaps and maybe a more kind of learned style which i think a lot of people said nico rosberg was really into the numbers studying the graph studying the data chris to get to get up to lewis hamilton's raw lap times
5: a
3: hundred percent i think we see quite a lot of drivers i think mick schumacher well, taking after his father really was exactly like that, where, okay, yeah, you, but for Michael Schumacher back in the day, you could do a 1,000 laps at a test circuit between every single Grand Prix if you wanted to. Uh, but it was going back, giving the feedback, looking at the data, what did we change? Okay, let's do another 50 yeah. laps and see how it goes. And it, it's it's those kind of little uh, details, rather than just kind of yeah. jumping in and, and and knowing exactly where you are pretty much straight away. But so long as the end product is roughly similar, it doesn't really matter how you get from A to B.
2: Mm. So, I won't risk any more Sim Racing chat to upset people. Uh, but if you do want to see Stuffy's stream, I do recommend you go and check it out. The links will be in all the show notes below. And what I love, Stuffy, is how you're going through your stream and you're talking through the races, and it is all so calm. I can't, I've tried, and I don't think I can do what you do because my head, I go from flash to bang so quickly. That my iRacing streams would just be an X rated affair, but you're just, you're effortless as you're talking through your race.
4: I, I try to. I used to be very angry on the golf course <laughs> growing up, and ah, I've, uh, I've calmed down as I've got older, but you clearly missed my stream last night. Um, oh. I really got the ump with the track, I crashed out myself. Um, but yes, it, it, I'm, I'm doing F1 watch alongs now as well. Which oh, is uh, oh oh so really, you're a direct really competitor? Enjoyable. Okay, Matt, don't put his no links in the no, show. no 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 Missed Apex banner down below. You know <laughs> it's uh, ripping, ripping the the Sweet. MA crew. So uh, yeah, nice, no, good
3: fun. That is such an amazing skill. And Spanners, do you remember when uh, Brad at the karting event? This was a couple of years ago now. When we had we could talk to him in the middle of the race, and he was just so calm, just like oh yeah, I'm going to pass Van Gene now, and he would do it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and that's why I would love to hear more in-car stuff. And we got a good email about the in-car stuff. I think I might address that midweek. But sorry, Chris, let's segue to the thing you're sad about. Oh, Chris, I think you're the one person I know that genuinely was rooting for Latifi. The Um, journey is is officially coming to an end now. I don't think there's another seat for him. I think most people are of the opinion that he wasn't up to scratch for the pinnacle of Formula One. But you you did keep, through all that time, finding little glimmers of hope, like an FP1 session or something, and you would be yeah. leaping on it. Did you truly believe that there was some F1 level talent there to be unlocked?
3: Uh, not not pinnacle F1, no. Um, I think Nicky got a, a bit of a bad rep, but not many people know about uh this this weird mystery illness when uh formula two changed cars in what was it 2018 he missed all the testing so he was really on the back foot uh, back then and about halfway through the season he started to sort of kick into gear and it was all sort of coming together. So he was in F2 maybe a year longer than he he should have been. But um and then when 2019 hit and he just kind of came out of the ground running winning three, four weekends in a in a row. Um, and although he ultimately lost the title, I did think, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, there is actually something there. I, n- I never thought he was going to go and fight for a world championship or anything like this, but I just, I wanted him to do well. And I was always rooting for him to, to make a, a development, uh, and to, to, to push on and to do something good. And I'm sure he's still going to have a, a great career in, in motorsport. I think he he could have the pick of any, pretty much any world endurance championship seat he, he wanted, for example, and go and do Le Mans.
4: Stuffy. Um, Latifi, or go as he's commonly referred to, is going to go down in legends with names such as Raganathan <laughs> and Pastor Maldonado.
3: But it's No, because Raganathan was like shutting was his it? eyes in high-speed no. corners. At least Latifi actually <laughs> made it
4: to F1. Maybe that's why he crashed so often, Chris. He was shutting his eyes through corners. Yeah. But um, Latifi, the now in the coffin for him was Nick DeVries. Um, Nick DeVries jumped into that car at Monza. Okay, a a track where the Williams was going to be stronger than his rounds, higher downforce tracks. But for someone to jump in in the circumstances like they did and to take it to an eighth position in a a fighting pack as well, it wasn't like he was running out on his own the whole race. In the manner that he did, just showed, I think, to the bosses of Williams that we've actually got a car that Mm. can pick up points here. We've got Alex Albon, who's, who's had a few good results for us. If we, had a se- if we had that second car fighting up with him, the strategy calls we could make and the, the potential points they could have got, Yeah, as you said at the start of the show, Spanners, I think we could see a good Williams next year, depending on who the driver is they bring in. Because there's a few rumors on mm-hmm. who they're going to bring in. So,
5: Yeah, and I, I think we'll talk about that. But I do need to point out, that of all the Williams drivers, it is indeed Latifi with the highest points. Oh, don't do this. Uh... In recent history, and, and there's no denying that. And <laughs> I, I, I do want to get on board with, with Chris a little bit in that, like, I look at his performance – and his performance in formula 1 doesn't match my expectations and i expect there is some kind of a reason for it i think that reason is probably very confidence related mm-hmm. and that in that in the end of days he wound up with a car he just couldn't drive um to its maximum performance uh for whatever reason and i don't i never got the sense that he was anything other than tolerated at Williams and that, that might indeed, you know, be a part of it.
3: Why I really wanted Nikki to do well was just that he was a genuinely nice guy. You know, the the son of a billionaire, you would expect a bit of attitude, a bit of ego. There was none of that with Nikki at all. uh, Or at least, at least when, when he was in formula two and um, he was just like, one of the few people in the team that was happy to see me at silverstone for example because the team are just like well, what are these media people doing there you know, the pr people the social media god what a waste of time we just want to make the car quicker whereas nikki was actually taking the time to help say hello and get to know us and you know was kind of happy to see
2: us is your whole latifi defense based on like oh he like Are you hungry chris i've got a bit of leftover sandwich and he's giving you a bit of leftover sandwich oh chewed pastrami my favorite like you can't base that all on that he was a bit nice to you well hold on no
3: i can like whoever i like for whatever reason no i'm I've never sat this. here and said ge- i mean i've said it jokingly yeah. but i've never genuinely said that he's the best driver in the world <laughs> or anything yeah. i just wanted him to do well
2: Stuffy.
4: It's a very similar. Not not you, not you, Chris. Obviously, there's personal reasons why you wanted Nikki to do well, and I think most of the time, depending on, unless it's Nikita Mazepin, I think most of us want drivers to come into Formula One and do well in in some respect. But it's very similar sentiments to Daniel Ricciardo. He's a lovely guy. People are, are so sorry to see him go, but he hasn't performed for the last three four years, same as Nicholas Latifi. Okay, arguments he didn't have a strong car um to even fight in the midfield when he was against George Russell. But he had there was unless George made a serious mistake, he never beat him. And then Albon's come in and then the Nick DeVries situation. It's yeah. um new American owners as well, new ownership, they've clearly seen we don't need that money anymore that he brings, and um, yeah, we're gonna take a different approach. You see, Stroll
2: had it better. At Williams, didn't he? He, he had Serokin to kind of cut his teeth against, and that he had a bit more of a kind of an, an easy path. To be fair yeah. to Latifi, he had Russell and then yeah. Albon <laughs> and then Nick de Vries. So they like genuine talents up against him. But I think you know that has highlighted the golf, and you go, well, okay, he's a genuine buy-in driver, and Williams were a team that needed a buy-in driver, and I don't think they're that team anymore. I don't think any of the teams are going to be that anymore. So it sort of makes sense.
3: Yeah. I, I don't know, like you said, Stuffy, that De Vries was the nail in the coffin because I think we, we all know, and the team know, Latifi was there for a reason, which was more financial support than for uh, driver talent. And unless there was that, that reason, the need for that money was no longer there because they found it elsewhere, then they were always going to need him for that reason. So clearly somewhere along the way this season... yeah. Uh, or maybe it is just a change in mindset. I don't know, but they've clearly, you know, found a reason to not need his money
2: anymore. We're going to, I'm going to put um, Stuffy's Twitter handles. Are your DMs open, Stuffy?
4: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah
2: brilliant. Good. I'm going to put his, we'll put that Mac. Can we put it at the top? Because a lot of the chat room are pointing out that you just compared uh, Ricardo to Latifi. So I'm just going to say
4: DM, Ooh, Stuffy, bring it. DM yep, Stuffing. DM Stuffing and it. not us.
2: Sure. I love he's, that. <laughs> I'm, he's, I'm so happy.
4: Look. Nice guys don't, nice guys finish last, especially when it comes to F1. And at the end of the day, Daniel Ricciardo, his personality, I love Daniel Ricciardo. He's a great guy. He comes across really well. I love him on his Instagram stories. Like he's funny, but ultimately, he's not been performing. He's not been great. And I was gutted to see him finish the way he did at Monza because I thought he deserved that. But maybe McLaren had a secret kill button on their engine to uh, allow norris to finish ahead of him um yeah. more to come more uh, yeah. to come on that trumpets <laughs> well you know i will take
5: issue with nice guys finish last because i think outside of competition it's irrelevant what kind of a person you are i've seen on- i've worked with people who are the best at what they do and they're really nice people and i've also worked with people who are the best at what they do and they are insufferable you know what? And so I have no problem getting behind Latifi being a genuinely nice person and, and wanting him to do well. But at the end of the day, the arbitrage between the money he brought to the seat and the the lack of points he can now bring to Williams when they think they're on an upswing has obviously tilted against him. and And that's a shame because I think on the whole, it's good for Formula One to have nice people <laughs> in the sport to help represent the sport as a whole.
4: There's no denying that. And it's great to see, obviously, Charles Leclerc, Max, Lando, all get on well off the track. But ultimately, it comes down to lap time and if you're getting the results. And I think, Chris, you said about, oh, when did Williams make this decision? I just think their ambitions have changed. Maybe there was, maybe they were... On a seesaw in regards to we don't know whether to keep Latifi for his money or do we go for a a driver who can potentially take our car further up the grid where we'll get more prize money anyway. Mm. And I think Nick DeVries just basically just tilted that for them and went, yeah, we've got a car here and we need to make that decision now.
3: Find another F1 podcast out there that can talk this
2: long about Nicholas Latifi. I love it. (laughs) Well, it's only... Because you made us, so I'm not coming on yeah. unless we do at least 25 minutes on Latifi. Here's the here's the question I really want to ask about the whole situation: is Is this now the last time we're going to see a big, genuine buy-in driver contract in Formula One? Where Nicholas Latifi is, my understanding, he was paying 20 million space bucks, euros, pounds. Although those two things are pretty much the same. In fact, pounds, <laughs> euros, dollars pretty much interchangeable by now can we all just have a common currency is this the last time we're going to see that kind of big money buy-in driver and I'm going to make the distinction not someone who's got backing not someone who's picked up at McLaren age 10 someone who literally comes to a team and contributes more to the team out of personal money than they take in whatever nominal salary that they they want to say so I would say that Latifi and Stroll their personal connections put more in than they take out. Because I believe Latifi gets a salary of like 800000 or whatever. Stroll draws a salary from Aston Martin. So I would still class those as buy-in drivers. Are we going to see another big buy-in driver contract again in F1? Stuffy?
4: I hope not. I don't think so. I think what we're going to see now is we're going to see dry- – it's, it's going it's to tilt slightly to drivers being picked on their commercial value. Ooh, similar, take. similar to how it is in kind of football and, and kind of other sports where they bring a player in or they bring some, bring a driver in for their commercial value and the money they can make because of how big the sport is growing now, especially with Drive to Survive. And I think, personally, this is why Red Bull were trying to get Colton Herter because he is an American IndyCar driver. He's known to the American fan base. And they're trying I think whichever team capitalizes on getting the first American driver in this new era of fan is going to bring in the big bucks, which is why logan Sar- I think Logan Sargent is really being talked about a lot in that Williams seat because that is a massive cash bonus they'll get from uh, from commercial, so I think it's going to swing more that way, mm. and we're going to get people brought in for their commercial value in the, the regions where they're big, then um, necessarily here's the money for me to have that seat.
3: I do think we're still going to see them every now and again because motorsport is always going to be uh, a, a rich man's game. And there's always going to be the, these scenarios where the rich drivers, and we, see it, we, we saw it with Stroll, we saw it with Latifi, we saw it with Mazepin, where they find themselves in a good enough team that is going to elevate them to a high enough position in the championship to get the necessary super license Mm. points. And at some point, a team will need
2: that money. Right, okay. But I I don't think they would elevate themselves to the point where an F1 team would want to pay them money. So I don't think if if paid driving, if buying at your seat wasn't a thing, no one was going to look at Latifi or Stroll in their junior careers and say, okay, I'm going to pay you a wage to drive for our team. So they are still out-and-out buy-in drivers. And there's lots of people saying, yes, rich man Sport, like you were saying, Chris, in the live chat, that it will always happen because money talks. However, with only 20 seats on the grid and it becoming a closed-shop franchise, I would imagine now that there is pressure from within the FIA and FOM to say, look, no, let's not do these these buy-in drivers. For for example, Haas bringing in Magnussen for Mazepin. Don't tell me there wasn't some kind of FIA FOM involvement in that.
3: No, well, for one, they couldn't. <laughs> I know they keep couldn't keep Mazepin, Mazepin but, but why didn't they also why,
2: why Why didn't they bring in a billionaire kid instead because, of Mazepin? Because they already had
3: Mazepin's money.
2: They got to keep it. Well, they don't have it this year. Isn't this? Yeah, ma- yeah. they, they um, kept it. So next season, all so, of it. So next season, Magnuson's out because Magnuson's getting a wage of like twelve million or whatever. Oh, I doubt he's on that much, but. You it, sent me it, the, the list. You sent me the list of everyone's I wages.
3: I no, I, I, no I was thing.
2: very surprised at what Magnuson's stated wages, oh, which is all my right. Point. All
3: right. Anyway, I I still think there's always going to be a time where a team is desperate for money and they will take a pay driver over mm, I, a, a, a very good driver. That's, it's, it's always going to crop nah, up. I, I, I honestly,
2: I, I honestly feel like there's a there's a drive from from F one itself. To say no, we need this is actually it's not. We've got the attention of the world on us now, and it doesn't look good at all for us to have these buy-in drivers. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's chats with the teams when it comes to selection that no, we don't want another Latifi Mazepin. Uh, Matt, then stuffy,
5: right? So I'm, I'm going to split the baby here and say that I don't think we're going to get you know Solomon split the baby in half. We're not going to get. We're not going to get the kinds of supremely untalented, incredibly rich drivers that that populated mm. bygone eras. But I, I think I tend to agree with Chris. You might see a good enough rich driver getting a drive over a better but... Much much poorer oh, okay, driver okay, okay, yeah. in certain in certain instances, which is not perfect, but you know, I guess we could call it progress.
2: Yeah, I suppose you could have a driver that would say, "I'm willing to drive." Okay, I know I'm this, the same as Derek Turnips in there, but I am actually mm-hmm. willing to drive for uh, for one million instead of ten million. Give me your seat, Stuffy.
4: I think you got a good point there about uh, the American Liberty Media is an American company, yeah. and it being a closed shop. That we keep hearing comments from Domenicali and other people in the FIA about their reluctance to have more than 20 cars on the grid, even though as fans and me personally, I think there's room for two, three more cars unless that happens. I think we will start to see pay drivers become a thing of the past. It's as I said before, more commercially driven, the commercial value, but you look at most of their sports leagues, they're all closed shops. They're all, it takes a lot for a team to buy in. I think like David Beckham's into Miami is the last team in kind of sport in their basketball, baseball, soccer, I know it's football, but um, team to come in and he's had to pay substantial amounts of money to come in. And even though some teams like Andretti are willing to front up the money, there's still massive reluctance to, to bring new teams to the grid. So I think, yeah, it's going to become a closed shop where they want things Run more tightly, the cost cap. And as you said, um, with the way, I think also with the way that the world is now as well. If, if a team is discovered to bring on a driver because they're fronting up X They'll amount get of money, booed. You, yeah. Exactly. Twitter. So, They'll get the old thumbs downs. Uh, Chris. So, so
3: this is all under the perfect scenario, which I hope will be the case that all the teams are financially sound and healthy in the long term. Mm-hmm. But I am very cynical about that kind of future because I just think it doesn't exist. But yeah. I hope it does.
2: What in a future where there might be thirty-five races on the calendar? Oh God! There might need to be driver rotation. So who knows where we'll uh, well, we'll, well where we'll be looking <laughs> for future talent and how many future talents we'll need.
5: So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. Sold! Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend.
2: we don't want to exceed the hour, so we'd best get on with the calendar chat. But before we do, uh, you've listened this long, it's not even a race review show. So you must think we're kind of okay. I'm going to ask you a favour. If you go to the URL, that's an internet term, www.mistapex.net, you can even just type in mistapex.net and your browser's clever and it will bring you to our homepage. And that, that there, you can click a YouTube link and start watching our faces or you can click an audio link and see if you like the show, and then you can go and subscribe. What I would ask is, just please tell you're our secret weapon, you're our advertising budget. If you could just tell one other person, one other person in your world, WhatsApp someone, hey, if you are looking for an F1 show, check out MissedApexPodcast.net, or just post it on your social media. Even if you've got two Facebook friends and three followers on on Twitter, this is the kind of ground-level Word of mouth that we rely on. You're our secret weapon. You've boosted us up in the iTunes charts recently. Thank you so much to everyone who left us five-star reviews on iTunes. We've we've had a, probably about 50 or 60 since the last show worldwide when I asked people to leave a five-star review. They've all been lovely and great for morale. So leave a great iTunes review and just tell one friend that if they want uh, um, uh, an F1 podcast. I nearly said i racing because I'm looking at Stuffy there. But if they want an F1 podcast, they should check out Missed Apex Podcast at missedapexpodcast dot net. Just one person, please. Even if it's Derek, one person. Okay, interesting chat, Matt, about the calendar. There's a there's a lot of races on there. 24 races, and uh, maybe it'll turn out to be 23. But even just personally, you and I, as F1 podcasters, we've been kind of going, I mean, even though we will do a a show every Sunday, come rain or shine, Yeah. the race reviews are are a different animal. And we already have squad depth, so we can rotate our panel. You and I can switch. Uh, We are going to have a substitute host on Miss Apex Podcast for two shows this season, which I'm very excited about. Obviously, you do your tech times as well. Chris, can morph into Matt and get a, a, a you know get a, a feeling of what it would be like to be 50 x years old and we can adapt there's a lot of podcasts out there that only do f1 race reviews for them that's going to be a bit a bit of a shock. I know one podcast that started out when there was only 16. They would do 16 shows a year. Now they're looking at 24. And that's just from a podcast point of view, from the team's point of view, staff point of view, viewing point of view, from the view of every single person that gets a side-eye look from their spouse when they say, I'm going to watch three days of Formula One. Yes, there is another Grand Prix weekend. No, the, f- the season hasn't finished yet. Yes, the season has started already. It, it's, a, it's a lot. I thought I wanted infinite F1 races, and I am being tested.
5: Well, you know, we're getting to interesting territory. I mean, for me, I always look at the calendar and I I look for the number separations. Is there a week between races? And I'm looking at the month of July right now. There is a race every single weekend. And I'm just despairing. I am despairing that I will survive that month with my faculties intact. Although, to be fair... China is listed as provisional right now and there there's a good chance if they do not open the country back up that we will once again not be racing there. But it's a lot. It's a grind on the personnel, it's a grind on the teams, the logistics, the environmental impacts. I mean these things all really do get factored in. And um but the big problem, I think, the biggest problem is dilution. At what point do you have so many races that it's not a special event. It's not something that you can tell the rest of your family. It's my special thing. I get to go do this, and they're like, "Well, yeah, it was your special thing at sixteen races, but now we're at X races, and so you don't get that anymore."
3: Yeah, I've made my feelings about the calendar expansion pretty clear over the years, but uh, and I always get the conversation like, "Oh, you're not a proper F one fan if you don't want more races," and like, "No, yeah, you can have Chris. too much of a good thing." you can have too much of a good thing. It is absolutely possible to the point where like, even, even after we came back from the summer break and we had three races in a row, I was fatigued just watching them. And it, it, cause it's an effort, you know, and you, you get bored of it after a while, even if it's something you're incredibly passionate about, but I think the
2: main, that's too much. I'm not bored of it. I'm saying this a lot.
3: What, what I would love to see as well is an approach of quality over quantity. I think we can all agree there are a good five races we would happily get rid of from the current
2: calendar. Monaco, we else? Not
3: miss them at all. No, oh, okay. not Monaco. Okay, I
2: tell you what, we'll do that. We'll do that in a little while. That's quite fun.
4: Uh, Stuffy, 24. I, I think we're going to have to get used to it because I think there's going to be one added next year and there'll mm. be one probably the year after. I think there's 52 weeks in a year and I fully expect them to take up half of the year with races. I totally agree with Chris. Quality over quantity. But the big thing I'm looking at in regards to this calendar is the spread over the world. Some of it doesn't make sense to me. We've got three races in America. We've got Miami in May. We've got Kota in October. And then we've got the last two races of the year is Vegas and Abu Dhabi. That's a night, there's a week in between them, and that's a 19-hour flight that I've Googled there. Um it just logistically it doesn't make sense and as fans some of us will be sitting there going more races the better i've got more f1 to watch some people will just watch the races they won't they won't necessarily be into it all over the weekend like say we are true but what about the the people actually work in (laughs) f1 what i mean even if i was single and i was young i'd be sitting there going jesus that's a that's a lot of traveling I've got to do. It's stressful enough going on holiday, let alone doing that no, 26 no, times no. A year. Let's
2: have mo- no more talk of sympathy for them. They are living <laughs> their dreams and they will dance for our pleasure and entertainment. Of course, that is a very <laughs> serious topic. Um, we might get to that in a second, Chris.
3: I mean, not to mention testing oh, as well. Yeah. Two pre-season yeah. tests, one post-season test, maybe even a, a mid-season tire test as well if they go back to doing things uh, like that as well. And you, know, you you're absolutely right. This... This expansion with the spread over the year of the various continents comes after they said they were going to try and group races together so that we would have... They grouped you know, them together.
2: A, yeah. The, between, they, they, a, they did. They grouped them together between March and, and December. Uh, yeah, exactly. Just one I big mean, lump. I mean, thank God we're not going into <laughs> December
3: again, though, because you remember last year it was a week before Christmas, before the season ended. Yeah. That was utterly ridiculous.
2: Uh, okay, I think, look, let's look at the the calendar in a little bit more detail. There's there's not many, like, surprises, but things like China coming back and, you know, uh, IMLA, which was kind of a stopgap race, has made itself a permanent fixture, helped by a little bit of, of aqua from the sky. And th- things like Brazil, Mexico, United States, uh, Qatar, the, the Saudi race, which hasn't really been, been thrilling, is still on there for that season as well. And then you're finishing the season still with Abu Dhabi, but the penultimate race is Las Vegas, so that's worthy of chat as well. Uh, Stuffy?
4: Yeah, those last two races, when I saw the calendar come out, I, I don't know why, I almost I always go to the last two, the mm. last couple of races. Um, I don't know, maybe because I'm hoping that for one year now, Abu Dhabi will no longer be... No, nope. our last race That's on the in. That's Last in. Last year was an exception. But anyone who's anyone who's joined F1 recently, Abu Dhabi is generally a snooze fest. Mm-hmm. And apart from one long straight, which is a boring overtake anyway, it's it's shocking to me that Brazil has been replaced as for that as the last race of the season. And to see Vegas and Abu Dhabi, the guys have probably got the most money to chuck at Liberty Media. Um be the last two races of the season um didn't impress me at all and neither does the vegas track but i've seen as a layout Um, as i saw someone on tiktok describe if you actually look at the track map and turn it upside down it looks like a bear okay matt
5: well i think holler in our chat has made the very good point we've talked a lot about pay drivers maybe Mm, we should uh, spend a little time talking about pay tracks and some of the tracks definitely fall into that category.
2: Uh, technically, all tracks are pay tracks, Chris.
3: Oh, exactly. No, I mean, look, we all know that oil-rich countries are paying a fortune and an awful lot more. The reason Abu Dhabi ends the season is because they pay for it to be the end of the season, and they pay for the full support package as well, which is why that we may have just ended the F three uh, season in, uh, in 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 Monza, but Formula Two's got to wait another two months before their season. Uh, ends which seems a little bit ridiculous uh mm. to me but um uh in defense of vegas um okay let's talk i will, I let's will talk, no longer
2: let's talk vegas I, yeah
3: no i will i will no longer judge a racetrack by the outline of this until we actually watch a grand prix on it i will not judge it because for me um i really disliked the idea of the baku circuit until i actually saw yeah, it in and qualifying it's, and it's, it was what, amazing what what to, who? For qualifying, it was really Ugh. thrilling. Maybe not for all the races. It's the best uh, in street track. Qualifying.
2: It's the best out-and-out out street track. I'll give you that. I, I would agree it's with that. It's a low yeah. bar. And and <laughs> it can be you know, quite exciting in qualifying. And it's exciting if you get a late safety car or a red a late red flag. And the, But honestly, the thrill and the novelty of, oh, look, it's going near a castle, that it disappears very quickly for me. Matt?
5: Right. So um, I I have feelings about Baku. There are certain tracks that are random chaos generators, and that's what makes them interesting. And I think Baku absolutely falls into that. It's an exciting race because really, at any moment, any person could do something stupid and pinball half the field out and just cause utter chaos. So it's kind of a replacement for when people's engines would just randomly blow up in the middle of the race and you just never knew when that was going to happen. Fair enough. But what I really wanted to discuss about Vegas is the fact that first of all it's a Saturday race. Yes. At a very weird time at least for those of us on the east coast. I think it's like going to be 1:30 in the morning for us. But it's because they wanted to have the race at night because they wanted a US-based equivalent of Monaco and Singapore. Liberty themselves own this race. They are the promoter of it. Prices are gonna make Miami look like a pauper's dream in comparison. But the thing about Vegas, if you've never been there, and the reason why I think this is going to work, is that nothing about Vegas, like when you're in the casino, like where this is gonna be, the action is gonna be, nothing about it is either real or even loosely connected to (laughs) anyone's actual idea of time. There is no time in a Vegas casino. It is always just now. And so Love it. I like the idea of the Vegas thing as a spectacle. I don't know if I'll like it as a race. I'll I'll wait and see. But I'm okay with them adding that. At least at least I, I get the business case prop, you know, reason it's on there. But, jeez, oh, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Stuffy, you, me, it. plane ride over to Vegas. Do a bit of what's your game? What's your game?
4: I'm uh, uh Well... Playing right over to Vegas, um, mm. looking at the prices, um, my YouTube channel needs to kick off big time to, to afford those prices Stuffy, over there or I need not, to win big exactly, on blackjack. Exactly. You're not because, thinking this
2: through. We will make the money
4: up when we get there. Oh, okay. I see your plan. I see yeah. your plan, little hustler. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's all about money. It's like boxing. Um, Vegas earns considerable amounts of money whenever there's a boxing match on and it'll be the same for F1. So... Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to make some rich people a lot richer. Is it going to be good for F1? I don't know. I'm just, I'm looking at the track map again um, and it just, I don't know. There's nothing there that really appeals to me. And we've got cars now that can follow a lot closer than previous years. And there's not, I don't know, there's nothing there that really, I see, we're going to get the thrill Mm. that, Apart from, as Matt said, maybe some chaos, a red flag or a safety car throws oh, up some interesting stuff for us. There'll be a safety us, car, though. I'm sure. <laughs> the actual on-track overtakes, I think it'll be quite boring. It'll just be down that long kind of back straight slash curve. Um, but at least at least our favourite track is uh, confirmed for another few years, though. Um, Spanners, right in the middle there, Monaco, May the, eight, May the 28th. Oh, okay, let's come back to
2: that. Let me take a deep <laughs> breath. Chris.
3: Oh, yeah, and the same weekend as the Indy 500 as well. My birthday weekend, and that is just a fantastic Sunday for me. But no, I wanted to just um, just clarify. So Saudi Arabia will be remaining at the Jeddah uh, street track that we've had two Grand Prix on. Um, it seems like the plans to move that to a permanent Grand Prix facility have been pushed back a little bit because, well, it actually takes some time to build a racetrack, it turns out. Um, and uh, Qatar, that was supposed to be moving to a downtown Doha street track. And it looks like instead they're going to upgrade the LaSalle circuit instead because it's cheaper.
5: But we like that circuit, so we are okay yeah. with that.
3: It wasn't um- necessarily the best race in the world, but I think with the 2022 cars, it could be quite good. And in terms of a, a you know, for qualifying, it was it, it was
5: mega. Yeah. Well, and one of the interesting things that we don't see on this incredibly lengthy calendar is South Africa, which was all entirely supposed to be there. And I happened to find um, some information out about that. And apparently the failure of, of South Africa to be on the calendar was down to the F1 appointed local promoter not delivering on their financial guarantees. But I liked it more because they discuss how many people were involved in this. Because you know, this is the thing: like how many people we were arguing about this last week. Seven different organizations were involved in trying to make this one race happen. The FIA, F1, Motorsport South Africa, Kyalama, the South African Government Department of Wait for it, Sport, Arts, Culture, Tourism, Local Government and then the local promoter they all have to be on the same page everybody has to get all their various acts together or your track does not in fact get
4: its grand prix i talking about south africa i think one of the only positives about that falling through is that spa was only renewed because of south africa falling through otherwise we wouldn't have spa next year now i you can argue that some of the races haven't been that no. great the last few years, but it just holds a special place in our heart, and it's still one of the yeah. oldest tracks around. that I think should just always be there in F one. Yeah, um, but otherwise, I think Spa. I don't even think Spa's renewed for twenty twenty four. I think that's still in in flux. So, yeah, that could still be going. Spa
2: needs to invest in just one, like in tennis at Wimbledon on Centre Court. If it's raining, they just put a big roof over it if they just do that for spa i think we'll be okay chris
3: yeah i mean uh yeah for spa to only have uh one year they're always uh very worrying for me especially when they've just done yeah. all this uh, all these upgrades to the facilities and you know for me uh, i think most of the recent spa grand prix have been ruined by uh half the field taking engine penalties we don't get a proper race oh, yeah. um out of it yeah. but um of course july 30th i feel like Spa already announced an event to be taking place on that particular weekend, the Spa twenty-four hours, which then had to be pushed oh, back a week.
4: Yeah, that's rough. No, you have to do what F1 tells you to. No,
3: you, F- you are absolutely <laughs> right. How awkward is that?
2: So look, um, on that calendar, I think we could sit and go, which ones would we get rid of? But commercial things are always gonna take Take some precedent over the the track over the tracks that we would like, and I think nearly every track that I would point out to get rid of there's a a money reason why it wouldn't why it wouldn't be got rid of Las Vegas as the penultimate race we've already had to stomach Abu Dhabi as the the final race because we had this great tradition of Interlagos finish finishing off the season, and what i wouldn't give to see Interlagos be be the last race in a Formula One season again. But I can't compete with what Las Vegas and Abu Dhabi have to offer. Because you don't have the money. No, that's a, that's precisely what I was saying. It's rubbish. It, it feels like all my problems could be solved with infinite money. However, in a 24-race season, for ordinary fans who have families, who have other commitments, who can't watch every sprint race who sometimes have to miss qualifying, and I include myself, if there's a family activity, my family and my wife will not say to me, oh, it's qualifying. Oh, we'll cancel the trip I planned. Oh, I'll tell my sister not to come round with it, all the family. So still for me, like qualifying takes, you know, a backseat to other family commitments. For the races, I do get left alone. I have not yet told my wife that there are going to be 24 races next year. So what I will say is, is that if there is the full 24-race calendar, I am going to miss two races. It's a lot. With the sprint races and everything else, I'm going to take two races. I'm going to pick two races that I'm not going to watch and I'm going to have this fantastic crew step in and do a good production. If there's 23 races, I'll only miss one and I'll tell you what that race is going to be and that is going to be Monaco. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I I am so fed up with Monaco still being on the calendar. It's been renewed for another three years. Nothing happens on a Sunday. Everybody sits there and goes, ah, but it's the majestic nature of it. You have to be there. Did you see the time where they nearly touched the barrier, but they didn't quite? I've had enough. I've had enough of sitting through Monaco race weekends. Uh, I'm just going to miss that one out.
3: Okay, you, you'll happily watch eight hours of preseason testing for for three days, but you won't watch the Monaco that's, Grand Prix. That's but about, anyway, that's
2: expectation management, though. Oh, what, well. do, why do I watch preseason
3: testing? Well, don't don't expect anything from the Monaco Grand Prix. Then, then you'll never be I've disappointed. I've done Gah. that for two
2: decades. It's a Grand Prix. <laughs> it's a race. It's meant to have something happening. I just I'm fed up of it. I'm fed up of people telling me I'm supposed to enjoy that <laughs> when when you obviously are not going to enjoy that.
3: Look, Spanners, here's what you tell Mrs. Spanners. You don't tell her it's 24 races or 23 or whatever it is. You just say, "Oh yeah, there's uh there's an extra race uh
5: next year." And then it doesn't sound so bad. I guarantee you, if you skip Monaco, it's going to be the year someone ends up in the harbor again.
2: Yeah, sure, it rains or something like that, and there, there's always the exception that proves the rule stuffy.
4: Like this year's. Oh, all, all you need to do in Monaco anyway, spanners, is is check uh, check the BBC text on a Saturday <laughs> evening. Yeah. Whoever's starting first will finish, unless it's a Ferrari then. They might finish third or fourth, but um, yes, it's, I agree. It's a track that Formula One has outgrown and <laughs> there's a, they there's, need to change. A As theory. I say with, with Monaco yeah. programmes in my background, but it's... Um, You're a yeah, shill.
2: You're really a shill. There's some suggestions that I'm saying this because I've been secretly offered uh, seats at the Monaco Grand Prix and I just want the week off of podcasting. It's not true. Chris?
3: What um, just, just on the very brief detail about that is that I, I think... Because it's on the calendar, that means that it's no longer sort of controlled and promoted by the Automobile Club de Monaco. And that it's actually Formula One that's going to be taking care of the TV
4: coverage and the promotion so, and the running and things like this. So you mean we won't get a stroll replay when there's one yeah. overtake oh of God. the whole track? Oh, that yeah, was amazing. Exactly. You, mean we, we, we mean, you mean we won't get to see that overtake that that replay anymore of Stroll? See, even,
2: even... That was good. Even this <laughs> season, where there was that bit of rain to start with, because there is a reluctance to go out and go around a street track with no runoff when it's pouring with rain, there was a little bit of excitement at the beginning, which quickly settled down into, into a completely normal Monaco Grand Prix.
3: <laughs> no, no, Not just a street or like any track. You could be in, in mm. Dubai. Or, well, not, not that it ever rains mm. in Dubai, but... Uh, the. You know even or spa or and one of these circuits, Cota, and they would still sit there for twenty minutes going, "Oh, now it's still spitting,
2: yeah, yeah, but Cota can be a Grand Prix without rain, whereas Monaco needs something True. like that to to make it an event, okay, so let's end this segment and the show by asking our panel which two races that they would miss from the f one calendar and look at them googling f one twenty twenty three calendar I'll give them some time to find that by. Saying which ones that I would miss, so obviously Monaco, I'm going to go for that. Just just watch it be like the most amazing race somehow, but I doubt it. Um, let's see the the one I would want to miss probably would be Las Vegas because uh because I know that it's there for commercial reasons. I feel like it's all being tilted towards what the venue and the city can do rather than to a TV audience. I am going to make the second one. Oh no, they're really close together. I was going to make the second one Miami and i know that will upset the powers that be because they all listen don't they but miami so monaco and miami i would give them a miss if i had to miss two who's ready matt which two are you missing if you're not ready i can say another one
5: no i i'm ready um hmm. I'm just, I'm I'm actually trying to decide am I going to miss them for like reasons of personal oh, yeah. convenience or or excitement and watching the races? Because personal all... convenience, <laughs> I, I ditched China and Australia in a heartbeat because they're like at three o'clock
2: that's true. in the morning that's true, for yeah. me.
5: But if we're talking about exciting racing, I don't know. That's,
3: all that's this, Phil, of, um...
2: screams, I had the calendar ready to answer this question, by the way.
5: I did. I've already <laughs> got mine.
2: Yep. Well, was... fine go ahead yeah. fine chris You've
5: interrupted go ahead yeah
2: he could all do right. he could answer it but he doesn't want to now because of your insulting interruption
5: well i'll just
3: say you already said miami didn't you yeah, so, yeah you can uh, agree I mean, you I can think agree spe- speaks for all of us <laughs> really no one yeah. wants miami back um so for it, I don't think it's necessarily ones I would miss, but just ones I want off the calendar, which are Jeddah. That track gives me anxiety. Mm-hmm.
2: And, oh yeah, no, uh, it's dang. It, that has got that's, that's like the most. I was, I thought that was getting replaced, but that track terrifies me as mm-hmm. a spectator. And like I feel like I'm
4: all their mums. You know, <laughs> I'm just
2: like, no, stop, slow down, just in case there's there's one round the corner.
4: Doesn't help. There's missiles being thrown. Um in the background at oil factories as well. Uh, yeah, and there's um well there's a few there's a few of
2: those. I mean, we might not get uh, Azerbaijan for similar reasons as well, and I'm I'm sure Sochi's not going to pop back on the calendar anytime soon, but I feel like those kind of topics are are usually a little bit outside of the remit of of this show.
3: Oh no, Sochi's not going yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah, what yeah, are yeah, we no, going to do? <laughs> that great track. Oh no. Uh the other one is of course Abu Dhabi. I uh, just what a what a waste of a finale.
4: All right. Uh, stuffy then what are you missing I'm going to pick two that none of you have chosen and this first one is going to rile up uh, a big proportion of the fan base and that is Zandvo just oh no please no not (laughs) Zandvo purely for racing yeah it's just a bit boring it's it's like Monaco whoever's into the first corner we had the safety car this year throw up We, we had we had the safety car or the Sonoda situation yeah. throw up some interesting I do I do
2: like the tri- I have well, to say I do be-
4: For me it's a bit like Monaco from from watching the drivers go round there mm. like on qualifying on the limit, it's fun to watch. But from a racing perspective, it's just a little bit meh. That's my that's my opinion. I think Hungara Ring is a
2: fairer comparison.
4: But Hungara Ring has been proven to throw up. Very, very good races. Zandvoort, I know we've only had two years, but mm. the two years we've had there have been a bit meh for me personally. And then the second one is Mexico. Mexico is another oh, race, no. but just down into the first corner mm. and then it's over and done with. It's very boring.
3: But that's so that you know, But both of those tracks are only on the calendar to suit Two very specific <laughs> drivers to cater to their fan
4: bases. It's it's like what Spanner said. Uh, it was very novel at first. Oh, they're driving for a stadium, and then it's worn off. It's not like they're driving for a stadium at two hundred miles an hour. They're driving for a stadium in the stadium first and second this, gear, and this, it's boring. The stadium but, is awesome. It, oh, it's and I don't Visually doubt that Zandvoort mm. is awesome for a party atmosphere, but for racing. No, that's and that's what I watch F1 for. I don't
2: know. I I I love. I like that turn one and then the banked left-hander. Is that turn No, I think that's turn 3. The banked left-hander turn 3 at Silverstone. Like, yeah, Silverstone. Yeah, I think that's one of the best corners on on the calendar.
4: Yeah, but it's just a bit boring. It's oh, not no. <laughs> watching qualifying was great because they're on the edge and you Going back to iRacing, like, you, you drive it and it's like, oh, this is, this is really good to drive. Yeah. But actually racing is boring. The two races that we've had there anyway, um, and it's only due to a safety car that that threw up anything interesting.
2: And with Mexico City, ironically, the thing that is the big feature, the stadium, is the thing that kills the racing around that yep. track. So didn't, yes. it, didn't it used to go outside of the, the stadium Bring and then go that down that
5: so before
3: the stadium existed, it used to be just one long mm. sweeping right hander from before where they turned right to go into the stadium. Now all the way through to the start yeah. finish straight, it's unbelievably fast right hander. But they can't do it now because there's a stadium and, and roads and stuff. There. Yeah, they yeah. all
4: get they all get oversteer, don't they, out of the stadium, and then they can't even with DRS get down into the first corner. But
3: yeah, it's the concertina effect, isn't it? Mm. And the yeah, because yeah. the DRS is already not so powerful because they are x thousand meters air. and yeah. there's no air so there's no slipstream and these cars aren't very good with drs to begin with anyway it's just going to be an absolute disaster i think
2: and matt that's you finally and uh i know i know you were all over this but the other two just too impetuous but now which two races would you miss
5: oh uh, which two races would i miss uh if it was all about the racing yes i think abu dhabi would be one of them and uh yeah
2: monaco would be the other monaco and abu dhabi uh chris so chris fonseca can we bring back malaysia yes, oh, yes. please can we yes. that
3: was such a great, great track. track
2: oh i've just realized that istanbul isn't on there so of the of the covid rescue tracks oh. mm. I, I think that a lot of those deserved at least a, a spot on the rotation so Magello, yeah hundred uh, percent and
4: didn't Turkey resurface their whole track because they knew F one was coming, or was that before? No, well, they, they really did remember. it before F one, but it was <laughs> not up to
2: snuff. And it was so, no, 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 no. Yeah, that was it, super slippery. Wasn't it, it, it hadn't first been around. on for long enough, so a lot of the resin was coming to the surface, and it was super mm-hmm. slippery. And and didn't Portugal have a similar issue as well?
3: I, I don't think it was. Uh, hmm. Anywhere near um, as bad? Actually, you bring up Portugal. I would love to see Portimao back on the calendar.
2: Yeah. So Portimao, Mugello, uh, Istanbul, all came to the aid of F1 during the global pandemic, and only Imola has survived, hasn't it? Out of those rescue tracks.
3: Yeah. yeah. Arguably, the worst one.
4: You- yeah. Is it's that there fair for the history? To say? It's there for its history. I think yeah. we right. argue about tracks being there for its his- for their history, yeah. but. Imler is probably it's the too, one. it's that...
2: too small it's too tight it is a great track it is too small for yeah. modern f1
4: if they want yes. another italian
3: track it should be Mugello. Mm.
2: yes excellent well that was that was a good chat and i regret instantly saying that i'm gonna miss a, a race next season because i i just feel <laughs> like it's gonna be the one isn't it like one in eight monaco's is interesting it's yep. gonna be the one i'm gonna stick to my guns I'm not doing the monaco race review and not watching it either i might watch the live timing as Stuffy suggests so. Please do go and follow our special guest here, Stuffy, on his U- uh, YouTube stream, on his Twitch channel, and on his TikTok.
4: TikTok and YouTube.
2: Okay, we'll put all the links in the show notes below, so you can see it. Go and check him out. It's very, it's therapeutic watching someone driving very fast but being very calm. And he's an he's an Essex boy as well, after my own blood. <laughs> so that's a that's a reason to go and follow him. Go and follow Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing on Twitter. And Instagram and TikTok. You've got an Instagram? Y- yeah, man. Is I've it mostly I mention it a lot. of your cat?
3: The, yes, there are pictures of my cat, usually on my on my story. Uh, there's pictures of adventures oh. that I go on. So, yeah. Oh, just, good. Some
2: adventures. I swashbuckling. Yeah. Follow mine. Yeah, exactly. If, uh, if, uh, search for Spanners Ready, I think, on Instagram. You can see my Instagram as well. You can see me walking my cat because that's a thing I do. I, I didn't think I was ever going to be the walking the cat guy turns out I am Matt Two at Matt PT 55 on Twitter. Always amazed you remember that. Yeah, because you've said it once and like you've told me the story about how it's to do with like a bike cog or something and it just stuck in my head. But it's not a very good Twitter handle. You should find some version of Trumpets or Matt Trumpets and just change it. Yeah, do it. Do it now. You've only got like eight followers. If you had Trumpets, people would go, ah, you're the guy from Missed Apex. I actually put that not in the handle, but yeah. in the other bit that goes next
5: to the handle. So no, people searching not,
2: can find it. Not good enough. And that's why I say to everyone, you should follow me at Spanners because I'm the best one. And you can also follow me on Instagram. I'm, I'm Richard Ready on Facebook. I have got a TikTok as well. You can search for Spanners Ready on there. And if you like what we're doing and you want to encourage this kind of thing, tell your friends and consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. There's a recent patron pod. That's just gone up. It's an hour of worst content of me and Matt and Alex Van Jean taking live calls from our patrons in our Slack group. It was a, a lot of fun, but it's you know it's not as serious and F one e as this. But wherever we see you next, which I suspect will be tech time. Matt, is there a tech time brewing? Ah, uh, potentially we have one for uh, next week, yes. and then we'll be here for the Singapore Grand Prix race review. But until we see you next, work hard. Be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast.
5: Only from Rustolium